The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Well, just before Christmas, as you heard us talking off the top of the show, I'm sure you heard it on our news as well. Three Red Deer men went sledding for the day at Boulder Mountain in Revelstoke, well-known destination for backcountry snowmobilers from Alberta. They went missing. And unfortunately for them, they were all located the following day as they made their way back down the mountain they had spent the night in or on. And joining me now to talk about sledding safety in general is Lori uh, Zakarik, I want to say, with Zach's Tracks. Did I get that close? Oh, you were pretty close. It's Lori Zakaruk. Zakaruk. Okay. I'll just call you Lori and then we won't have a problem. Uh, Okay. Not specific to these three red deer fellows, but in this particular case, uh, they were somewhat experienced. They had gone out to an area that was popular among Albertans, um, but they'd gotten themselves uh, sort of stranded or lost and had to dig in for the night. Mm-hmm. So they had brought a small amount of food. They had brought uh, some water, and they had enough to get them through the night. And then, as good fortune would have it, they were, they were found on their way back down. Nobody's injured. So that got us sort of looking into backcountry safety in general. Maybe you could start by explaining what Zach's Tracks does. Oh, sure. That would be great. Uh, my husband and I started teaching or taking and teaching avalanche courses 20 years ago now. Uh, we uh, had ridden for a number of years with no training and thought we had some gear and we're pretty sturdy, hardy people. We can figure it out as we go. And then we took a, an awareness avalanche class and realized how much we didn't know and started to take some formal training. And since then, we've been committed to raising the bar within the snowmobile community on not only avalanche safety, but also just general backcountry preparedness to be able to deal with overnight situations, for example, and injuries in the backcountry and communication in the backcountry, because we can cover so much terrain in a day. And it's, it's an amazing sport. It, the, the views and the physical activity of mountain snowmobiling is, is unbelievable. But we are in remote terrain, uh, oftentimes just with our own group in the vicinity. And if we can't handle ourselves or look after an emergency, we're then either relying on someone else to come and find us or, uh, or, or just our own ingenuity. So to be prepared with either training and not either, but training and gear gives us a lot more opportunities to come home safe every night. Yeah, and you know, Laurie, it's, a, it's an interesting thing you just said because... An individual who goes out sledding, as you mentioned, uh, or snowmobiling, uh, you cover a lot of terrain. Oh, yeah. You plan for the day, mm-hmm. but the question to be asked, I would assume, is, yeah. but are you planning for, for the, the overnight? Overnight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because you don't expect yeah. to have an overnight. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I've had people comment on the size of my backpack, for example. So I just loaded my pack up for the season, and I weighed it, and it was 23 pounds. And I'm not a big person. I'm only five foot two. And I look at the gear in my pack and I try to decide what I would leave behind because not only is there the gear that I carry on my back, I consider that the essentials, but then there's all the gear I store on my snowmobile. So I have a tunnel bag, I have an underseat bag, a handlebar bag, another bag under the hood of my sled. And so between all the different storage compartments, we can choose to carry quite a big gear. And I like to tell people you can, uh, you know, you can save time you can spend some money to save time or you can save some money but down the road it's going to cost you time hmm. and so when i decide what i'm packing i i look at the chance that what if i end up injured by myself in the dark in the cold without my machine 
that's the stuff I need on my in my pack. See, right? that's interesting all by itself because when you get thinking about this, um, you think about, okay, so if I had to stay overnight, that's the starting yeah. point. If I had to stay overnight, what do I need to stay overnight? Right. I'll need to be able to start a fire. I need to be able to eat. I'll need to be able to hydrate. Some kind of shelter. I'll need a shelter, food. right. I'll yeah. need to construct a shelter or find a shelter. Yeah. I'll need to uh, stay warm. Yeah. Um, but then you mentioned, well, what, wait a minute, what if I'm injured, though? Yeah. Or what if somebody in my party is injured? Am I able to deal with that? Yeah. And then, you know, from there, your mind starts opening up. Well, wait a second. <laughs> what if I fall through the ice? Or what if I'm wet? Yeah. yeah. You no, know. no, we've had we've had a lot of those different issues, and they weren't all our group. They could we've assisted a number of other uh, riding groups that have had issues, whether it was dropping in the creek and ended up soaking wet, or coming off of a rock and ending up with a back injury. And the the primary and the other thing that Randy and I did too was we, my husband and I, overnighted on purpose one night by ourselves, just to see mm. what we liked in the gear that we carried and what we thought was maybe unnecessary in our pack. And one of the most important things that we found is we already carried spare clothing and ways to build shelter and fire. But what we realized was that a little mini stove is like a lifesaver. Because if you've got a, an injury or you've got somebody that's super cold or you need to try to hydrate, to be able to just heat up water quickly, efficiently, and get a hot meal through a freeze-dried package of food or, you know, a hot tea or a hot water bottle to put in somebody's jacket. Mm. Um, the time it takes to build a fire in the backcountry, I mean, the best wood is under the snow, six feet down. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know, so that was one of the most important things. And then another thing that we won't ride without is a down jacket, a stuffy down jacket that uh, takes up room in your backpack. So you need to have enough liter storage in your backpack, but it is just unparalleled. The amount of heat you can get from a, a down jacket that uh, you can add to your clothing. Because when we ride as a snowmobiler, we're so physical that we're riding with just a thin underlayer and a shell. I mean, we don't, it's not like trail riding snowmobiling where we've got thick insulation to be able to protect from the wind and the cold temperatures. Mountain riding is so physical that you're riding with very little weather protection. And then when you are no longer moving, and the sun goes down, the wind picks up, it becomes very, very cold. And a lot of sledders aren't prepared for that. They just don't have those spare layers. I guess you'd have to give some thought as well when you talk about the different places of, of your pack and then what's on your machine. Mm -hmm. I think you'd also have to give some thought, wouldn't you, as to which goes where? Because yeah. if you leave your machine to, yeah. to, to, to walk, you'd want to have the right. most necessary items in the backpack. Yeah. So, so what I call it is my essentials in my pack and my luxuries on my sled. So, for example, my lunch is on my snowmobile, but my emergency food is in my pack. My spare mitts, which are warmer, are in my pack, but my extra gloves that I know I'm going to use throughout the day are on my snowmobile. My prescription glasses are in my pack, but my sunglasses and my extra goggles are on my snowmobile. Hmm. So... Um, essentially, essentially, my backpack stays zipped for the whole season, and I don't unpack it because it's just my emergency gear, and all my daily expected use stuff will be on my machine, and that way it's always 
my pack is always dry, and I just store it in my truck or my snowmobile or my trailer, and it's just good to go. And I know I've never accidentally unloaded and left things behind. You know, Lori, uh, you've just had a light bulb go up uh, <laughs> over my head because I'm thinking I don't snowmobile, never owned a snowmobile, mm-hmm. but the well, idea you're of missing a, out, man. well, I know, so I hear, <laughs> so I hear. But the idea of having a backpack, a lot of motorists have an emergency pack, yeah, but it isn't necessarily suitable for if you had to hike out of an area. Oh, yeah. Uh, a, a backpack, you know, instead of an emergency with some of the yeah. same items, but some of the items you've mentioned yeah. would be a brilliant idea. I'm yeah. almost out of time. I wanted to ask you one of the questions, just as an experienced uh, snowmobiler. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it to mechanically check and maintain your snowmobile as well? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's my husband's job. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it is it is very important because of the distances that we travel. Uh, if we have a breakdown, that becomes a, a big issue. We can, uh, you can pull your snowmobile on low angle terrain, but sometimes we'll drop into places that you won't be able to tow a friend out, and then that's a pretty expensive helicopter ride. So it's a lot cheaper to maintain your machine. Um, it's the one thing that's amazing, though, is that our machines have become so much more reliable than they were, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, there's so many more, uh, just, just a altitude compensating and just the fuel injection and just different things that that the newer snowmobilers are coming out with just makes it a much we wrenched a lot in the old days on machines <laughs> in order to have a good time and now you can basically get out and just go for a ride so you no longer have to be a mechanic well no but i still bring them along yeah for sure <laughs> uh if people want information uh, more information on the training programs that you offer yep. and just general advice where do they go uh, my website is zaxtracks.com, and we have classes coming up in the next couple months in Fernie, Edmonton, Red Deer, Calgary, and Vermont. Excellent. Zaxtracks.com. Uh, it's Z or Z A C S T R A C K S dot com. Yeah, no K, no K. No K. Get rid of the K. <laughs> there, Zach's tracks. There you go. Okay. Uh, right on. If anybody missed that, uh, text me and I'll text you the uh, website address. Uh, Lori, thanks so much for this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. Anytime. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a news break in just a second, as we do uh, at the top of the hour, every hour. Uh, wanted to make mention of this, sort of a New Year's story, but I can't hold on to it for the blue folder. It'll be too pa- too far past New Year's. Did you hear about this? Uh, U.S. Strategic Command has had to apologize for a tweet they sent out. Uh, if you're not familiar with what they do, U.S. Strategic Command oversees the country's nuclear arsenal. Uh, they had to apologize on Twitter Uh, for a message they sent out on New Year's Eve saying that they were ready, if necessary, to drop something much, much bigger than a ball on New Year's Eve. And they showed a clip of an aircraft releasing bombs. Somebody... Betcha somebody got demoted. Um, they are, of course, referring to the Times, or they were referring to the Times Square tradition of dropping the ball on New Year's Eve. The video showed a B-2 bomber, and it was just flooding the field below it with bombs, followed by explosions on the ground. Then later Monday, the message was deleted from their Twitter feed, and a new message said, Our previous New Year's Eve tweet was in poor taste and does not reflect our values. We apologize. We are dedicated to the security of America and its allies. The 6:30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 6:30 Chad.